Good morning. It is January 12th. It's a nice normal winter morning here in New York City. And this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. We're operating a little deeper in the lower register than usual today. Thanks to your host making chit-chat at a crowded cocktail party yesterday while wearing a mask. But we will press on. The New York Times deployed a full-page headline today. U.S. missiles hit Houthi targets in Yemen to mark the latest escalation in the regional war. The Times notes that the Biden administration had been reluctant to do this for fear that strikes on Yemen could escalate into a tit-for-tat between American naval vessels and the Houthis, and even draw Iran further into the conflict. By the Houthis' account of things, this is at least tit number two, with the attacks on Red Sea shipping being tat number one, in retaliation for tit number one, Israel's bombardment of Gaza, except that was also a tat for Hamas's attacks of October 7th, which in that model would be a tit unless one granted the October 7th attacks tat status in response to the ongoing Israeli tit of the previous violent subjugation and immiseration of Gaza. But then for those last several stages, can you really apply the tit-for-tat model to disproportionate and savagely escalating exchanges of violence? Anyway, it's a war. We're bombing stuff. We have, via the Times, via the military, the word that our tit or tat involved precision-guided bombs with strikes directed against radars, missile and drone launch sites, and weapons storage areas. Pentagon officials, the Times writes, were still assessing whether they had actually hit those things, and there's no word in the story one way or the other about whether we hit any civilians while doing it. In less precision-guided behavior, the International Court of Justice in The Hague continues hearing the case about whether Israel's mass slaughter and starvation of the captive population of Gaza, accomplished with the help of U.S. weaponry, amounts to genocide or not. On page A19, the Times has the latest update on the government shutdown and the budget deal. Unless I've missed one, that's four stories on the subject this week. The headlines in order have been, as we discussed earlier, Monday, leaders reach spending deal as clock ticks, followed by on Tuesday, spending deal gets pushback from far right. And then yesterday, conservatives dig in heels against deal on shutdown. And now today, hard right pushes Johnson to drop budget deal. Republicans, the Times reported, made it clear that they considered the deal that House Speaker Mike Johnson negotiated a non-starter and threatened to wreak havoc in the House if he did not advance a different one. What the ultra-conservative members are suggesting, the Times writes, abandoning a deal days after it was announced, would amount to a remarkable breach by Mr. Johnson with Senate Democrats, Republicans, and the White House just three months into his speakership. Can something be remarkable while also being completely preordained? Honestly, it probably can. Good luck to Mike Johnson for however much longer he lasts as Speaker before they just turn the job over to the mummified skull of John Birch. On page A16, there's the story of how Donald Trump berated the judge and the prosecutor at the end of his civil fraud trial. Despite having been specifically instructed that he wasn't allowed to do that, was he dragged away for contempt of court? Of course he wasn't. As what efforts there are to hold Trump accountable for anything, instead, like the next stump of the Hydra, simply spontaneously generate more opportunities for him to do wrong and not be held accountable for it. And the lead story in the national section is that the Newark City Council granted 16- and 17-year-olds the right to vote for the school board. The story is sort of confusingly written in that it says, if implemented, the measure would make Newark the largest community in the United States to expand voting rights to younger residents since 1971, when the 26th Amendment lowered the voting age to 18 nationwide. But there doesn't seem to be any reference to what if implemented means. The city council passed the ordinance, so... And there's no real explanation of what else it would take, if anything, for the young voters to step up and cast their votes. 
There's also a mystifying paragraph lower down in the story, where the Times attempts to explain to its readers what Newark, New Jersey is, across the unbridgeable distance of 10 miles or so. Newark, the Times explains, holds a unique place in history. It was decimated in 1967 by racial unrest that resulted in 26 deaths, left entire blocks in charred ruin, and accelerated a decades-long exodus from the city by middle-class white residents. That is not a unique place in history. It's not even a unique place in history for a peripheral city at one end of New Jersey, across the state line from a better-known metropolis, as the people of Camden could tell you. Still good work by the Times paying attention to what happens there. And congratulations to the teens of Newark. That is the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. And if all goes well, we will talk again after the holiday weekend.